This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Puckcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno. You can follow me at Statsman22, and my partner on all these pods all season long has been AJ Scholes, and he's back uh, with me. You can follow him at AJ Scholes24. AJ, we've reached the eve of the Stanley Cup Finals after some very unpredictable results all the way through, and uh, all three rounds have produced some surprises. Well, maybe not the last round. We both had the winning side in both of them but the fact that the Ottawa extended your pens to seven games must have had you just fit to be tied uh, considering it even went to overtime I've thoroughly enjoyed these playoffs and against the the comparison of the NBA walkthrough by Cleveland and and, uh, Golden State uh, there's been no comparison in terms of the excitement level in the postseason Uh, share with me your thoughts you must be in a bit rough a rough condition after hanging with the the game last night and uh, putting your heart out there (laughs) yeah yeah our uh, our listeners will have to excuse me the voice is a little rough after that uh, two overtime outing last night. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you make a great point, Paul. There there has not been um, the predictability that, that you see sometimes in other sports. Uh, you mentioned NBA. You know, uh, you've had, you know, the Pens had the 7 nothing win, but before that, Ottawa had a 5-1 uh, win. So, you know, that series uh, really bounced back and forth a little bit. And that was the case in the earlier rounds. Uh, not a lot of people had Nashville sweeping uh, the Blackhawks. I mean, that that's obviously one big surprise there. Uh, so it really has been a, an exciting and, and very, um, as you said, unpredictable uh, postseason uh, so far. Yeah, and you know what? I have to harken back for those listeners that haven't been with us regularly. We did highlight Nashville at the beginning of the season as a team to look out for, and they didn't really prove us right in the regular season, boy. But but they've really been on fire when it counted the most. And uh, that defense, they've got three studs back there. We'll talk about them more when we get into it. But it kind of reminds me of the Montreal Canadiens way back when, when they had three top defensemen that allowed them to rule the roost. And, uh, buddy, your team's in tough, I'll say that. And uh, (laughs) we'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's, you know, there's definitely plenty to to talk about in this series. And, you know, I think Nashville just took a a while to, you know, hit their stride. Um, and you know, they 
they barely made the playoffs. They were the second wild card uh, in the in the Western Conference. But uh, you know, it's all about peaking at the right time, and they've definitely done that. Um, but before we get into the you know the rest of the show, I'll just remind our listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about uh, you know fantasy hockey, hockey in general. You know, some some leagues might be looking at uh, you know who their keeper should be for next season. Uh, we're happy to give our our take on that. If you're between a couple of guys, uh, just tweet at us. Uh, we'll try and get back to you during the week. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes twenty four. You can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman twenty two. And that's a great point, AJ. I'll pick up right on that. Uh, people now are getting ready in their keeper leagues to decide who do they keep and who do they discard. Of course, there's going to be the, a bit of an expansion draft this year, and I think there's going to be a lot of player movement this summer too. So we'll have to anticipate that and possibly factor that into the decision making process that we all have in terms of the keeper leagues that we're all involved with. But AJ, it's time to do a review of the playoff series that we just saw. Let's begin with the one that wound up last night Pittsburgh versus Ottawa you must have been a little bit surprised that Ottawa hung around this long but the injury factor on the Pittsburgh side kind of leveled the field here their defense has been decimated and they did squeak through it I gotta ask you off the top uh, what do you make of the goaltending switch in this series that Pittsburgh uh, made do you think it was the right call and uh, really does it spell the end for the flower in in Pittsburgh well, I mean, at this point, it's hard to really second guess it, you know, with with hindsight being what it is. You know, Murray's been uh, pretty uh, outstanding since coming in a, a 0.946 save percentage. Uh, so it's hard to say that that it was the wrong call. Now, um, having been a, a Penguins fan uh, for many, many years now, uh, you're going to see Flurry throw up these occasional bad nights um, and you can't afford that in the postseason. Um, but I, I think he would have bounced back. It's what he's always done. You know, he'll have a bad night and then next night he'll come out and throw up a shutout. So it's something that, that wasn't surprising for flurry. Um, I think he would have bounced back fine. I, I was, I was admittedly a little surprised that they made the call. Um, but as I said, you know, at this point you can't really second guess it. Matt Murray has been outstanding and yeah, I, I'd be surprised if, you know, they still have Mark Andre flurry next season. Um, I look for him to maybe, maybe he'll be in Vegas. Maybe he'll be somewhere else. Um, but I'd be really shocked if they found a way to keep both of them. And and to that end now, you have to also take a look at the rest of the Pittsburgh roster and say, uh, can they get through? Uh, how did they survive with the defense uh, core that they did? Let's talk about that. What, Who of the defensemen really stood out for you in this series for them? This is an unheralded group, so let's give them some love. Yeah, I mean, the, the key, I think, uh, most nights has been Ian Cole. Uh, he's been kind of their key, uh, you know, stable defenseman. Uh, Ron Hainsey has actually been really good for us. I, I think he was a key pickup, uh, especially with the Latang injury. Uh, and only modest stepped up offensively. Now, I, if, uh, if any of our listeners out, out there go back and look at my Twitter uh, post from the past, they'll see I was calling on only Mata to get bumped from the lineup. And, and he is a defensive liability, um, but he's shown he can step into the play and contribute offensively. So, you know, Latang's like that sometimes too. He'll make a bonehead play uh, in the defensive zone, turn the puck over, but then he goes out and scores a couple goals. So Olimata's kind of sliding into that that same uh, vein there. Uh, but I think really Ian Cole's kind of been the staple of the defense uh, with his aggressiveness, uh, his, you know, defensive play. He's really held down uh, the opposing teams. And you know what? I, I noted, uh, AJ, they don't have a defenseman here who ate more than 22 minutes 
per game. They really shared the wealth and, and the ice time. It was pretty level, uh, all of them averaging right around the 20-minute mark. So uh, without a dominant uh, ice ice time guy they really managed managed their time well and they showed kind of some depth here that i didn't think would thrive throughout the playoffs so really to me that was a key element in surviving the ottawa series for the ottawa part of course we know that carlson played a ton of ice time on on injured an injured wheel uh what can you tell me about the ottawa defense that that surprised you or uh met expectations there certainly we got to talk about maybe the arguably the best defenseman in hockey right now well, I, I wasn't really surprised by anything that Ottawa did. I mean, the the fact is, all season long, Eric Carlson has been, you know, what makes their, their team go. He leads the team offensively. Um, he's pretty solid uh, on the defensive end. He's really an all-around uh, defenseman in that sense. You know, the, the rest of the guys are uh, very similar. You mentioned unheralded. That I would describe the rest of Ottawa's blue line uh, much the same way. I think the one interesting thing, was a couple times they went with 7D, uh, having uh, Frederick Clayson and Ben Harper uh, in the lineup. That was kind of an interesting move, and and I think it speaks uh, more to the lack of depth in their forwards uh, than you know saying anything about their defensemen. And uh, to that end, I got to ask you: you saw, I saw Dion Phaneuf that I haven't seen for about 10 years uh, this guy turned back the clock and he played like I remember him playing for Calgary I didn't see this kind of performance from him uh, in his time in Toronto so uh, what do you say about the uh, assistant captain there in Ottawa uh, your reflections on his play in these playoffs well I think he filled a, an important role something that a lot of teams did and that's to agitate Sidney Crosby now I think the, the thing that didn't work for him is that they uh, Sid was able to kind of keep his head level and, and stay in it. Um, but he filled that role well. Um, I know Penn's fans will join me in, in kind of despising him for the last seven games. Um, but, you know, somebody's got to do that. That that has always been in the past how you beat the Penguins is you, you get Crosby and, and Malkin off their games to get them, uh, you know, making dumb plays. And, and it really, uh, Dion Phaneuf really stepped into that role well for them. Uh, and I think he, sh- you know, if they can keep him for next year, I think he plays an important role in this team's future. Yeah, well, the contract tells me he's not going anywhere. Nobody's going to want that kind of money on their books for a 30-plus defenseman unless he can really ter- continue to turn back the clock over an entire season. And, and talk about turning back the clock. Craig Anderson in goal, 36 years old, but he played like a guy 10 years his junior and really was the, the main reason why this series went as long as it did. It puts, poses a quandary for Ottawa next season because he's a pending UFA. And maybe teasing a future episode of our show, we have to look at that situation briefly and say, you know, what of the Ottawa goaltending situation next season when this guy doesn't go into the goes into the offseason without a contract? Has he played himself into a, a new contract in Ottawa, do you think? Or, uh, I mean, certainly still looks viable uh, based on what he's done this season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they'd be, um, you know, I think they'd be remiss not to, to re-sign him. I think he... Like you said, he was really the key uh, to this series. Uh, I, I do think he he may have benefited a little bit from uh, the extended time off, uh, not you know picking up the bumps and bruises. Now I'm you know none of us wished he would have had to take that time off with everything that that his family went through there. Um, but I, I do think it helped him 
uh, be more uh, rejuvenated and, and feeling uh, up to up to par for the postseason. And I do think letting him go or letting him walk would be a bad choice by Ottawa. Uh, they may not have uh, a say in the matter. He may get a pretty good offer from somebody else. Um, but they definitely should be right there in the mix and, and try and keep him. And uh, we've got to look at the forwards here before we move on to the other series, AJ. For the Pens, of course, they have the star power of Kessel, Malkin, and Crosby, and all three guys pretty much delivered as we expected. But they had some other guys that were along for the ride that have been solid contributors. Why don't you give us a bit of a run-through of the guys that really have impressed you, and maybe if there's a guy that maybe let you down in, in this this series or these playoffs. Yeah, I, I think, honestly, Carl Hagelin, um, you know, you compare this postseason to last postseason, has really not uh, contributed a whole lot. Now, he's in more of a, uh, a grinder role, but if you think about how much, you know, he contributed during during the Stanley Cup run last year, the whole HBK line phenomenon and, and everything there, uh, he really has just not uh, shown up quite as, as well as he did in the past. Now, a couple guys that have really impressed, uh, Carter Rowney, for me has been really impressive. Uh, he's kind of filled that, uh, you know, Connor Sheary role from last year, kind of a young guy, uh, that steps in kind of unheralded, uh, Jake Gunsell obviously has done a ton yeah. with his offensive play. Um, but you know, he, we, based on what we saw at the end of the regular season, I, I wasn't too surprised on seeing that. And anybody playing with Sidney Crosby is going to be right there in the mix. Um, but yeah, Carter Rowney for me has kind of been the, the surprise of the, the postseason. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, Haglin and Benino. I guess their places have been taken in terms of the scoring and contributions by Rust and Gunsel. Brian Rust has had a pretty nice playoff too for your team. Six goals and one helper in 17 games. Uh, 35 shots on goal. That's two a game. That's pretty good for a guy who's not named Crosby, Kessler, or Malkin. And, and what of those top three guys, uh, again, have Kenny Malkin, to me, uh, has been something of a mystery in in the regular season. The guy goes missing. Like I've harped on this a few times, AJ, but he sure has showed up in these playoffs. And uh, it's kind of interesting that he and Kessel have had a bit of a love-hate thing going on as a bit of a backdrop. Uh, you, it was well-publicized, the on-ice antics of Phil a couple of games back when he was re- really upset that he wasn't getting the puck from his center. Uh, kind of an interesting pairing there. I'm surprised that it's, it's lasted and thrived as well as it has, given uh, the antics that Phil really made public uh, in this series. Well, I mean, nobody should be surprised by that. I mean, we've seen that from Phil Kessel his entire career at you more than most up in Toronto. Um, but I think what it comes down to is, you know, Malkin's a very even keel kind of guy, uh, for the most part. And so I, I think he just kind of ignores it. Let's Phil be Phil. But I, I do think that's why he thrives with Pittsburgh is he can kind of be that way. He can, you know, for, for lack of a better term, love it, hate it, but he can be himself, uh, and, and let that kind of emotion go and ha- doesn't have to be the face of the franchise or the guy that's expected to do everything. You know, that's, that's Sid's job, even Malkin's job, they can handle that. And so I think he really benefits from, from that aspect of it. Uh, you know, you mentioned Malkin kind of disappearing in the regular season and that's really just due to injury. When this guy's healthy, he averages over a point per game right. across his career. So it shouldn't be too surprising that he's got you know 24 points in in 19 games in the playoffs here 
Uh, that's just the type of player he is. If he's healthy, he's going to put up points. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not going to disparage him as a player. When he plays, he does produce, but it's just uh, annoying that sometime in March, every season, the guy pulls the shoot and, and goes off with a mystery ailment, and then he comes back in the playoffs and does what he's doing here. I'd love to have had 24 more points from him, him in March <laughs> when I might have needed them. I mean, I won my, my leagues, but but uh, it would have been nice to have him produce at a level that I expected throughout the season. And we can't leave the Pittsburgh situation without talking about the captain. Sidney Crosby, I mean, the points, uh, 20 points in 18 games, yeah, really good. But this guy proved once again, AJ, he's, he's there in the big moments. He's a leader without equal in the NHL, except for maybe a guy like Jonathan Taves. I mean, you could go on forever about this guy, I know. I'll let you gush for a minute or two and, and uh, tell me why uh, he is so valuable to this club and, and even the contribution he made right on that winning goal was typical of what Crosby means. He drew everybody to him and then Kunitz kind of faded away and into the high slot to get himself open. Nobody went after him because Crosby is the most dangerous guy on the ice whenever he's out there, but he can make his teammates look good, and nobody's benefited from that more than Chris Kunitz in his career. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I would argue Chris Kunitz uh, got on that last, uh, the last time he was on the Olympic team was solely because of uh, Sidney Crosby. And, you know, I think what separates him is he always finds something some little thing to motivate himself more. Uh, you know, he's won pretty much everything at this point that, that a professional hockey player can, uh, both, you know, internationally and in the NHL. But, you know, he's, he's uh, kind of a student of the game, and so he knows how long it's been since a team has uh, been repeat champions in the Stanley Cup. And so that's the thing that's motivating him this time around. He always finds something uh, to get himself going. And and that energy is infectious. It it bleeds into not only his line, but the entire team. Uh, And he really just is an ideal captain. You know, I I think a lot of a lot of fans out there despise Sidney Crosby. Uh, I've you know, I've heard it all. and, And in some ways I can understand it sometimes. But this is a guy that if he's on your team, he's going to be your favorite player just because of how he leads the team. That's very well said. And I mean, uh, I'll give you another example. My wife's not a hockey fan, AJ, like you and I by far. But she makes a point to seeing the Penguins when they come to Toronto because she loves to watch Sydney play. She says this guy does it differently than any other player that she sees. And that's kind of a, a testament to him. And, and what sets him apart as, the, I think, the, the most consistent superstar that we've seen in the NHL in the last 10 years for sure. Uh, he does things away from the puck that, that make you notice him anyway. And that's, that's really a telltale sign that really, really underscores just the kind of superstar player that he is. You mentioned it. He's got a real head for the game. Uh, he's a student of the game. And that, I, I think that's a quality that is rare in hockey and rare in, in sports. And it really separates the superstars from the rest of the guys in the pack. So uh, kudos to Sid, the kid, and the rest of your pens for getting to the final. We'll preview that final in a few minutes. But I want to also sign off on the Ottawa Senators season by taking a look at their forwards, AJ. And they got some really good performances from y- some young guys that are going to be around there for a while, including a guy who was drafted second to Sidney Crosby in the draft that saw him join the league. That's Bobby Ryan. He had a fabulous playoff. Now, off the ice, Bobby's had a really tough, uh, troubled uh, or challenging time in his life. 
uh, owing to circumstances that are beyond his control. But boy, oh boy, this guy is also an elite level player. And he showed it in these playoffs after a sub, kind of a subpar regular season. And he was supported by guys like Mike Hoffman, Derek Broussard, Kyle Touris, who I have a lot of time for, a real skill player and a real quality guy off the ice. And uh, so and the depth that they have is underscored by the fact that a guy like Jean-Gabriel Peugeot comes up with a four-goal effort too. So they have five or six guys. And what about the feel story, feel-good story of Clark MacArthur and the productivity of Mark Stone? So it's maybe even six or seven guys, quality guys that round out a pretty nice top six that Ottawa can look forward to in the next couple of years as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that the thing that got them, though, uh, in this series is that after that top six, it really drops off. Right. Uh, you know, their fourth line uh, kind of shuffled around different guys in. Uh, you know, Tommy Wingles played at some point. Colin White got in there. Uh, and so they really shuffled that around. And I think they just couldn't hang with a, a fourth line uh, that the Penguins had and, and Matt Collin leading that group. Uh, and so I really... While I do think they do have some quality top-end guys, I think if they're going to go deeper in the playoffs next year uh, and want to make it all the way to the Stanley Cup final, they're going to have to bolster that bottom six. All right, let's take a look at the other series now. The the Nashville Predators coming from uh, nowhere at the start of these playoffs. Everybody had them down and out in the first round against Chicago, but they swept the Hawks. They've continued to play very well and uh, disposed of the Anaheim Ducks in six games in that series. We both called that. And uh, what can you tell us about your observations of their goalie, Pecorini? We'll start there. 1.7 goals against average in 16 games in the playoffs. For my money, they're MVP. Oh, yeah, there's no arguing that. He's he's definitely going to be uh, in the conversation for Conn Smythe as well. Uh, he's just been outstanding for the entire postseason. Uh, and really, you know, he's been their, their leader too. Um, you know, you, you talk about some of their, their other leaders on the team, but I think at the end of the day, it all starts and stops with Peke Rene, both from, uh, you know, in the locker room, uh, and, you know, on the ice. And, uh, on the other side of the coin, the, uh, Ducks had some injury woes in goal and issues with John Gibson, and that forced them to play play uh, the other guy who used to be a Maple Leaf goalie. And I won't even talk about his name too much because <laughs> it pains me. But uh, what are your observations about the Anaheim goaltending situation? It kind of let them down at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think uh, we kind of talked about that previewing that series. You know, Gibson wasn't on top of his game. Now, I don't know if... You know, he had the, the injuries in the postseason, uh, and I, I wonder if that uh, kind of, you know, obviously, I wonder if he was hurt longer than just the games that he missed. Uh, he did, you know, miss a good chunk of time in March uh, due to injury, so that may be carried in as well. Because uh, John Gibson's been a solid netminder in the past, but it definitely was not their strength in the postseason. Um, I obviously wouldn't expect them to change that up. He's going to be their starter next year. Um, but it really let them down, uh, you know, significantly. And, and they may look to retool that backup just in case he gets hurt again. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Jonathan Bernier, uh, I'll say his name. He, he blew up uh, for Anaheim. And really, the separation between these teams was underscored by the fact that Bernier's goals against was double what uh, Rene's was. And, you, you know, the 873 save percentage really not there at all. So once Gibson went down and out, you know that the, their fate was sealed, despite the fact that maybe the, you can make the case that Anaheim dominated the territorial play for large stretches, including that, that clinching game where they outshot 
the uh, Preds by quite a good big margin. So let's take a little, maybe look at the reason why. And, and the Anaheim forwards, AJ, let's take a look at their setup up front. I mean, Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff, they didn't play together much of the season, and that continued in the postseason. And really, Perry was a, the overtime darling of, of uh, for Anaheim's run in these playoffs, scoring him some important goals. And Getzlaff was just unbelievable, I thought, throughout these playoffs. Their best forward by far. And they had another couple of guys, Silverberg and Raquel, that had pretty good playoff for them as well. Yeah, I think what, what kind of sunk this team uh, and seemed to the wheels came off a little bit is when Patrick Eves went down. He was such a uh, big contributor for them at, at the end. Um, and not having him in that Nashville series, I think, really uh, kind of doomed them. Now they were able to survive without him uh, during, you know, to get past Edmonton. Uh, but I definitely think if he had been in the lineup, it would have really boosted them. Uh, you know, they did lean on, on Jakob Silverberg. He was uh, outstanding for them as well. Um, but I, I do think Patrick Eves going down was probably the biggest hit uh, to, to their uh, chances. Absolutely. And for Nashville, let's take a look at their forwards. They were depleted a little bit. Certainly Ryan Johansson going down and out with an injury that's going to keep him out of the final is a big blow. The number one center out there. Philip Forsberg, though, the resident superstar in waiting there, as I've been calling him for a couple of years, continues to take steps forward. He logged uh, 20 minutes of ice time, more than 20 minutes a game and was a plus 17 in these playoffs so far. One of the top marks across the board, 15 points as well. This guy's got a tremendous future in the game. And really, when people say, oh, Nashville's all about their defense, this is a guy that I point to along with Johansson to say, no, no, they got some talent up front. They've even got James Neal, who you know a little bit about. He's been uh, a little bit under the radar with only seven points in these playoffs, but five of them have been goals. And against uh, Pittsburgh, you've got to know he's going to be fired up. We'll get to that matchup, of course, a little bit later. But uh, among the forwards, there are some guys that have been pretty steady for these guys. They've, they've had production from uh, a number of guys that reached double figures in points uh, that might not be household names here. Yeah, I mean, the highlight there is going to be Colton Sissons. Uh, he had the, the hat trick in, in the game six, uh, and he's been solid for, for much of the season. You know, he, he's got 10 points in, in their 16 games, uh, and he's really filling in well on that top line with, with Ryan Johansson out. Uh, you know, seems to be pairing up well with Philip Forsberg. It'll be interesting to see what they do next season uh, when they get Johansson back, how they want to you know work that out. But uh, they've got some some young talent on this team that that definitely has stepped up. Pontus Aberg, uh, one of them, uh, even you know Victor Arvidsson's another kind of young uh, unknown guy that has really stepped up for him. So the the future is now for them, obviously, but it's still pretty bright. They've got some young talent. This is a team that could be good for quite a while. And uh, let's finish up with a look at the defensive of both teams. I'm going to leave Nashville's defense for last because that's a real key going forward. But I want to talk about Anaheim's defense. We saw the depth that they offer there, AJ. And the fact is that when we talk about the upcoming expansion draft for Las, Las Vegas, the, the situation in Anaheim is going to be dire in terms of their ability to keep the quality that they would like, the depth that they have here in place, because uh, one of them's definitely gone, I do think, maybe more. Uh, when you look at the likes of Cam Fowler, Shea Theodore, Brendan Montour, who really stepped up, those two guys, uh, along with uh, holdovers Batman and Bieksa and Lindholm, that's seven names there on the blue line, and I haven't even mentioned Josh Manson, who logged 20 minutes a game for them, so an eight-pack that really, really shone for 
for the uh, Ducks in these playoffs. Yeah, and it's interesting. It you know came out afterwards. Uh, you know, Lindholm was playing banged up, Vatnin playing banged up, Bieksa as well. Uh, so a, a couple guys that were playing hurt. Um, it sounds like. And so, you know, that obviously didn't help uh, the situation for them. But, uh, yeah, I have to imagine, you know, there's definitely some forwards uh, on the radar. But you have to imagine that Las Vegas is going to take one of these defensemen uh, from Anaheim. They're, they're just too good and, and too numerous. You can't protect them all. It'll be interesting to see if they go with the, the four and four option rather than the seven and three just to try and keep an, an extra one of these blue liners protected. Yeah, and then looking ahead, you wonder if maybe they'll trade the other two guys to, to get more assets. That's another way they can go, so it really behooves them to, to look at all their options. But we'll close out the analysis of, of this past round with a look at the uh, Nashville defense. Of course, I mentioned the trio of defenders that are at the top of the list, Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, and uh, P.K. Subban uh, leading the pack, but they also had some support below that uh, tier. Uh, the, really, the heartbeat of this team is, is the defensive end and the goaltending. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, P.K. Subban, I, I think... It just took him a little while to kind of get comfortable. Uh, you know, at the start of the season, it looked like it was going to be Subban and Subban and, and Yossi paired up, uh, much like Shea Weber and Yossi had been paired up uh, previously. But that just, for whatever reason, didn't work. Um, but I think they're probably happier having those guys, you know, split up playing on different lines. Uh, you know, Matthias Ekholm's another name that that doesn't get um, quite the the accolades of some of the other guys, but he's got eight helpers. Uh, and so he's contributing as well. Uh, and even their their third pairing of, of Yannick Weber and Matt Irwin, uh, names that you're not really going to hear on a regular basis. But both of those guys uh, have been, you know, decent, solid, uh, you know, players for them. They they haven't cost them any games, uh, in, in my opinion. So that's really all you're looking for a lot of times in your third pairing. Uh, you know, give the, the top four guys a, a little bit of rest and don't cost your team any goals. So they've they've done their job. Yeah, I can't say it any better than that. Uh, I call those guys the big three, but they have ably been supported uh, by the the rest of the guys who don't really hurt them when they're on the ice. And that's all you can expect from the bottom three. When you've got three studs, though, at the top end that eat up more than half the ice time that's available in the game, that really has to be a bit of a comfort zone for the Nashville Predators. AJ, before we get into the analysis of the final round, I want to also give a nod to FanDuel. It's been a great sponsor for us all season long. And of course, when we talk about FanDuel now, you're talking about baseball and We've enjoyed the fact that the baseball seasons have been underway. Uh, their fantasy baseball is there for everyday fans, folks. There's new contests starting every day. No busted seasons. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and compete against other fans. The new this year, they've upgraded the experience. There's late swap contests. You can edit your players right up to the start time of their individual games. There's no more worrying about late lineup scratches or a sudden storm weather-wise, and there's non-late swap contests that are still available. Uh, updates in the scoring side of things, of course, by now, people that play the game know that quality starts were added, so pitchers will have more control over their own, own performances. You get rewarded for a guy who goes late into the game <coughs> with a quality effort. And they have a friends mode, AJ, where you can create a league for your friends, choose the days you pick each week, contests will be created automatically, and there's a leaderboard that will keep track of how you all stack up against each other for all those all-important bragging rights. Now, AJ, I have enjoyed FanDuel for basketball, hockey, and baseball, and football. Uh, I, find, I find it takes a couple of weeks to, to really get to know the nuances here. Uh, what are you noting about uh, the baseball opportunity? 
Well, for me, I think the biggest uh, biggest help for me is to actually go and use Rotowire, uh, use the lineup optimizer. Yeah. One of my favorite things that we have now is the the stacks uh, ability. It'll uh, build a stack for you based on uh, a number of different parameters you can pick. Uh, I recently just uh, on Wednesday put together a lineup using uh, the stack feature and, and cashed in, in two, uh, cashing both a 50-50 and a double up with that lineup. So uh, it really helps me, especially because I can, you know, I can do enough research to maybe pick uh, a pitcher that I think is struggling and a team that I want to, you know, go up against. And then the lineup optimizer with that stack feature will help me build uh, a stack against that pitcher. And, and it's put me on, on track for, for fantasy baseball. Yeah, there's no end to the stuff that's available on our site to help you make your picks. You can see what the players have done their last 10 games. You can see how they fare against opposing pitchers. Weather conditions are a factor. We update that periodically. And we also update the lineups on a daily basis right up to pitch, uh, first pitch. And that's a key because you really need to have your players in the lineup. I've been burned by that just because of my schedule, AJ. I can't get back to my lineup sometimes. But I really uh, that's laziness on my part because the uh, the app is, is such a good one. And you can make changes from wherever you are in terms of the rosters uh, knowing the information getting it right uh, is critical to your success and i'll remind fans that to have all the fun and with fantasy that baseball has to offer at fandle you can certainly be sports rich sign up today go to fandle.com slash rw there's a special offer for new users deposit today and you'll get a free six-month rotowire subscription plus five free entries that's up to fifty dollars in value to try a variety of sports on fanduel that's fandle.com slash rw and we remind you, don't forget to check out our daily pods from Monday to Friday, where we preview all the daily MLB games in our DFS pods. I work with John McHechney on the Wednesday one. We've had a lot of fun with it. And John's been on fire in terms of the, the uh, staff uh, rotowire uh, staff uh, weekly pool that we've run. He's been cashing regularly, so he's looking like a star in this thing. And uh, we try to highlight FanDuel's best plays of the day every day there. So have a tune in and uh, listen. But, uh, now, to now, AJ, let's turn our attention back to Puck talk the stanley cup final preview you got to be thrilled your team's in there against nashville and i think uh the odds are are opening up in favor of the penguins they'll have home ice advantage in this playoff let's do our usual circumstance uh, circumstantial analysis of, of this series by beginning in the nets and you, you give us your thumbnail on the goalie matchup between pittsburgh and nashville as we look forward to this series well, this is going to be a tight one. Uh, Matt Murray and, and Peke Rene are, are pretty much on par with each other. Um, and, and if for some reason, you know, they changed it up, Marc-Andre Fleury is, is there as an option as well if Murray were to struggle. Um, so I, I do think ultimately I'll give the edge to Nashville and goals by, by a little uh, you know, Peke Rene has just been so phenomenal this entire postseason. He's played all the games uh, for them. Uh, and so I do think that that he does get the slight edge. Now, the if you know if both starters got hurt in some sort of fluke uh, incident, obviously the Penguins have the benefit of of a stronger backup. Um, but I don't really expect we'll see the flower at any point. I think Matt Murray will ride it out uh, the rest of the way here. I, I give the edge in goal. I think to Peke Rene. I think he's just slightly better than Matt Murray, and some of that just comes down to to years and experience. Uh, Matt Murray celebrated his 23rd birthday yesterday after that win. Uh, so a good way to, to celebrate for him. But uh, yeah, Peke Rene uh, by, by a hair. 
Yeah, I'm going to give the edge a little bit more pronounced there. Uh, I think your homerism is, is factoring into your call. I'll call it that. Pecorini, as you said, has been a Conn Smythe Trophy candidate. The guy's been otherworldly in these playoffs, and really the main reason why Nashville's gone this far. I think it's a big edge in goal, and I think there's a, a bit of a a small cl- cloud that could become a bigger one if Murray should struggle in, in a couple of the early games. Uh, they do have a fine option in Flurry, but the Penguins might be wondering, you know, when is Flurry going to have that bad game again? Uh, there's some question marks there in in in, in my mind. If, if Nashville does get to Murray, that could really be swinging things in their favor. So uh, for all the numbers that we can spout, they all seem to favor the Nashville goaltender. So I'm, I'm going to give a big check mark to Nashville in that circumstance, AJ. What about on the blue lines, the respective groupings there uh i'll I'll begin by saying nashville with the big three we spoke at length about them earlier i think there's a possibility that they give another edge to to the predators here but you know we spoke also of the consistency of the ice time in pittsburgh these guys are underrated but they've certainly delivered the goods so you can't sell them short maybe one to six they're a little more steady than what nashville can offer one through six yeah i i agree with that assessment paul i i think you know, the, the Nashville top three are, are going to be, you know, uh, above all. You know, if you were ranking all these defensemen, you'd probably go the Nashville top three. Then you'd put all six of the Penguins guys in there. And then the Nashville, you know, other other three, uh, you know, Eckholm might might slide in there a little bit. But uh, I, I do think the edge has to be to to Nashville on, on this one. Uh, they're going to get more blue line production and, and scoring uh, than you'll see from Pittsburgh. Now, they benefited from getting Justin Schultz back. He contributed right away, uh, being back in the lineup, got an important goal last night. So, um, you know, he'll be a, a key both uh, five on five and on the power play for them. Uh, but, yeah, the Nashville uh, top top three guys are just, uh, you know, a scoring a scoring machine, really, and they, they drive the scoring from their blue line. And that takes us to the forwards, AJ, and we look at this as a big equalizer, maybe the biggest advantage that Pittsburgh has for sure in terms of the depth and the star power that they have up front. We saw Anaheim out shoot Nashville by some big margins just because they lost some of the firepower that they leaned on in the playoffs. And, and I think this could really be, this is really where Pittsburgh has to call it their bread and bread and butter and and their stars really have to deliver in this series aj let's take some time talking about this matchup as well yeah i i think what for me i think the key difference is going to be the that the third and fourth lines um you know the penguins fourth line of you know kunitz colin and sherry now kunitz has kind of moved around a little bit uh he's been up and down Um, but matt colin has really been a key to that that fourth line and has really injected uh he comes in with a ton of energy a ton of speed and the, the guys with him uh on that line tend to do the same it's it's not a line that uh you know you might look at it on paper and you expect it to see a significant decrease in ice time and that really hasn't happened that much uh they've just contributed so much to inject energy and grit and toughness into the game so i do think that gives them the edge over Nashville's fourth line of, of McLeod, Fiddler, and Solomon, uh, Solomaki. Uh, but at the top two, I think you can't, you can't oversell how much uh, you know, having Crosby, Malkin, and, and Kessel uh, is going to give them the edge, especially when Ryan Johansson's out. Uh, I think they're just uh, you know, a class above 
uh, what Nashville can put on there. And I think, as you said, this is going to be what separates these two teams. And, and for me, I think the Penguins have better depth and more star power. Uh, and so I, I give them a, a significant edge over the Predators uh, forwards. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. I'm just wondering about the makeup of the forward lines in Pittsburgh. Based on what you saw last night, do you think a guy like Chris Kunitz gets more time with Sid Crosby, or do, does he stay with the younger guns of uh, Jake Gunsel and Brian Rust? How do you think they're going to deploy their forwards around Sid the Kid? Well, I, I do think what, what could help is uh, if they get Patrick Hornquist back, I expect him to fill in on that top line. Uh, so Gensel, Crosby, and Hornquist there. Uh, and so, yeah, Kunitz, Kunitz might actually be in line. Uh, maybe he'll slide into the third third line with, with Hagelin and Benino. Uh, Russ has played really well uh, and is, you know, up there with some of those top top guys usually, but he's another one. You know, you put Colin, uh, maybe Sheary and Rust on one line together. Uh, that's, a, that's a group that's really going to give you some, some energy and, and some pop. Let's go through some of the injury concerns, AJ, for Pittsburgh. What are the significant bumps and bruises, and uh, how do you think that impacts the rest of the team? Obviously, we've got to talk about the fact that Chris Letang, their signature defender, is out for the whole playoff. That's a shame. But what about up front? You mentioned Hornquist. What's his status? And even a guy like Thomas Kuhnhackel. Yeah, so Hornquist was a, a game-time decision, so it looked, uh, you know, he's right there. They've got a couple days until Monday, uh, so I kind of expect him to be ready to go. Uh, Tommy Kunakel, he's, uh, you know, his rehab's a, a little further behind. Um, I'm not sure uh, if he'll if he'll be ready for game one, but even if he is, I'm not sure he's going to be in the lineup at this point. Um, so I, I'm not too concerned about, about getting him back. I think Patrick Hornquist is the key. Obviously, Latang is out, but, you know, we've talked about how the D is sharing minutes and, and really benefiting. They've got the injury to Chad Ruedel. He seems close. Uh, he was with the team for practice, although still in a non-contact jersey. Uh, but again, this is a guy that I don't expect to get back into the lineup. So really, uh, for contributors that are injured, you're looking at, at Patrick Hornquist is really the only one uh, considering Justin Schultz came back last night. And uh, I'll counter with the Nashville side. We talked about their defense. Uh, it's deep and it's healthy. They've got even a couple other guys on the bench that have played with them through the season. I mean, in the press box, who played with them throughout the season that are in reserve. So lots of depth back there. But up front is where they're going to be smarting. Uh, Ryan Johansson out of the lineup, uh, and so is Kevin Fiala. These guys are two guys who would factor into their top six probably. Well, definitely in the case of Johansson and possibly in the case of Fiala, who has some firepower and some great skating ability. If they were in the lineup, I'd have to give uh, the nod to Nashville big time in this series, uh, to be quite honest, AJ. Uh, but uh, they're going to be heartened by the fact that it looks like Mike Fisher and Craig Smith could be back for that series opener. Fisher's involvement key, I think, because he's going to get the assignment against either Crosby or Malkin to try and negate one of, the, one of them as much as he can. He brings a ton of experience and a lot of grit, and uh, particularly when Nashville's at home, could be a real thorn in the side of one of, or, or both of these, these centers up here, just kind of like Ryan Kessler tried to be early in the playoffs against uh, his uh, opponents. This is the type of player that Fisher can be, although he plays it a little cleaner than Kessler, I'll say. <laughs> but uh, certainly the veteran leadership, their captain, he, he is missed by them, and, and they need him in the lineup in this series to really close the ranks and, and 
give the Penguins all they can handle. Craig Smith, another serviceable guy who's seen the dark times in Nashville and and is thrilled about the fact that things have turned around the way they have the last couple of seasons. This is a guy who's a good soldier, 20-goal scorer, during the regular season you can count on him in that range year in year out and uh, the veteran is another guy that they'll rally around should he come back into the lineup AJ uh, I'm kind of certain sure where where you're leaning in this series but what's your what's your official call in terms of the games that'll take for Sidney Crosby before Sidney Crosby raises the cup over his head well I don't think there's any way that this series ends before seven games uh, either way these teams are pretty evenly matched uh overall i you know i i mentioned you know you give the penguins the edge on the forwards but you know you give the edge and goal uh to peke rene and and the d obviously in nashville uh so i I do think it has to be seven games and obviously for me i'm gonna pick uh pittsburgh in seven they've got the home ice uh so i i would be surprised if they can steal one in nashville that's been a tough place uh for opposing teams to play all season long uh, so I give them four games at home uh, and just win those four and lift the cup. Well, and I'm going to be the fly in your ointment, buddy. I told you <laughs> off there, I previ- I said, don't get mad at me when the show's on because I'm going to pick Nashville. And you know what? Their game seven is going to be game six. I don't think there's any way that Nashville could possibly win a game seven in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think there's too much in favor of the Penguins when you throw in home ice advantage in that deciding game. I do think it'll be a factor if it goes that long. But I also think that what you said is important, that the Nashville home crowd has buoyed this team throughout the playoffs, and they're a really tough out at home. This is one of the best atmospheres in pro sports, really, when you talk about the home ice situation in Nashville. And I think that they can surprise the Penguins in one of the first two games and snatch that home ice advantage. And if they do, I'm betting that they don't give it up, just because I lean heavily on the two check marks versus the one in their favor goaltending defense clearly in nashville's corner i do think though they're going to take a hit offensively and if pittsburgh's allowed to run wild that's going to be their biggest problem uh nashville has to find a way to contain the dynamic forwards and and having that big trio on defense and uh, serviceable backup uh, to them on the other side of their uh, defense pairings uh, it's going to give them a great shot to do this and of course pecorini I think it's going to be the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. So Eileen Nashville, I'll take them in six. So one of us is right, one of us is wrong. This is the big loony of the the year versus <laughs> the, the U.S. dollar, AJ. And uh, one of us will collect when we see each other in July in Vegas. So that's the way we go with this one. Now, we're going to stray away from our season-long thing with the stud and the rant. Uh, we've talked about all kinds of great players all season long. And I want to highlight them, AJ, when we talk about the major awards this season. So let's take a look at uh, and project. We know the Art Ross is going to Connor McDavid, but uh, the Hart Trophy, most valuable player in the league. There are some big names out here who are in contention in terms of the Hart Trophy, AJ, and uh, I'd like to know who you lean on in terms of that discussion. Well, I'm not going to go out on a limb on this one. Uh, for me, I think it has to be Connor McDavid. Uh, you talk about a player that's most valuable to their team, uh, and I really think he is why they succeeded so well uh, all season long. Uh, I think if he had a little more help, they might have gone uh, deeper in the, the playoffs, but uh, we're talking regular season with the Hart Trophy. Uh, so for me, the most valuable player to their team was definitely Connor McDavid. Yeah, I would echo that sentiment. Of course, other guys that are in contention are guys like your Sidney Crosby, Brent Burns, who played well for San Jose until the beginning of March, it seemed, and then he really tailed off. 
Eric Carlson with Ottawa had a great regular season. Brad Marchand, Patrick Kane, Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, other names that really came to the fore at one point or another. So there's a lot of contenders. It'll be whittled down to three for awards night, but definitely Connor McDavid is the guy, I think, that gets the nod there. In terms of uh, the next trophy I want to take a look at, what about the Norris Trophy for Best Defender? We've got the likes of Brett Burns, Eric Carlson, Duncan Keith, Ryan Suter, and Victor Hedman, among others. Maybe even P.K. Subban can be thrown into that mix. For you, my friend, on the regular season only now, who is the guy? Well, I'm, I'm going to give it to Eric Carlson. And, and I, I know we said regular season only, uh, but these votes, the voters... Are, are swayed I think every once in a while by what they see in the postseason um, and so I, I do think it's going to be Eric Carlson that, that goes away with it um, I, you mentioned Brett Burns kind of falling apart uh, in March and a lot of it's what have you done for me lately uh, so we're looking at a Brent Burns drop off Eric Carlson was much more consistent all season long maybe didn't get quite as high in the the point total there but uh, for me I think it'll go to Eric Carlson yeah I, I think I have to agree with you and I'll I'll say this that he elevated his game at a time when the chips are down in the late part of the regular season and really closed the ranks on, on Burns scoring totals of course Burns had a fabulous first half of the season and he wound up leading the league in points for defensemen the the lazy voter I'll say will just look at the point holes and say, oh, Brent Burns got the most points. But it's when the chips are down that you count the heroes. And that's when I say Eric Carlson was clearly the class of the field here. And certainly uh, you have to give a nod in the direction of Duncan Keith, who really had a nice rebound season. Victor Hedman had a career year. So there are some guys that really had some quality seasons. But the Ottawa captain certainly uh, leapt to the head of the class for me, AJ, in that discussion. Uh, let's go to our next trophy, the Vezina Trophy. In goal, we have the likes of Sergei Bobrovsky, Devin Dubnik, Braden Holtby, Cam Talbot, Carey Price, and any other goalies that you can think of to add to that list. Who gets the nod for you, AJ, in terms of the uh, goalie award? Yeah, you, you mentioned all those guys, but I, I think really there's only two guys to talk about here, and it's going to be Braden Holtby and Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, I think they were just more consistent all season long. Uh, I give the edge to Braden Holpe and you know, their, their save percentage is pretty much right on their goals against average is separated by a hundredth of a, uh, a point. Uh, but Holpe had two more shutouts. Uh, he led the league with, with nine, uh, had one more win than Bobrovsky as well with 42. Uh, and so I do give the, the edge here to Braden Holpe, uh, f- just edging out, uh, Sergey Bobrovsky. Well, I, I'm going to factor in the quality of the team, and I'm going to go the other side of that coin, and I'm going to pick Bobrovsky just because I think without him, uh, Columbus doesn't go anywhere. And and I think without Holtby, I think they still had Philip Grubauer. The drop-off to him from Holtby uh, wasn't that significant. I mean, when you look at the goaltending stats just within the team, and that's not to sell Holtby short at all. Listen, he was a key to uh, my success in in regular season pools the last couple of years and I know the value that he has to this team is significant but I'm just saying that without Bobrovsky and Columbus that team is out maybe not even going to make the playoffs AJ and he had a super, superb season as you said the numbers were right there in line with uh, with his uh, division rival so I, I do think that uh, that I think he's going to come out on top let's throw one in for good measure AJ I didn't 
talk about this one you, with you at all, but Coach of the Year, Jack Adams Trophy. It's been a bit of a jinxed award over the last few seasons. A lot of coaches don't survive long after after winning this award, but some of the names here and the stories behind them are pretty compelling when you look at the top three guys in the mix. John Tortorella, Mike Babcock, and Bruce Boudreaux. Tortorella had uh, the benefit of seeing the Columbus rebound, Mike Babcock with the resurgence in Toronto, and Bruce Boudreaux. This guy just seems to win wherever he goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it to uh, probably Mike Babcock. I, I think with uh, all that he had to do with the young guys, getting them acclimated to the NHL, um, you know, it, it, Tortorella was working a lot more with veterans uh, who just had to adjust to his style of coaching, his style of play, what he wanted out of them. Uh, you know, whereas being able to mold all these young guys, they had so, you know, your Leafs had so many rookies playing this year. Um, and I think it just takes a little bit more to get these guys uh, ready to go and, and to produce on a level that they all did. Uh, and it's kind of, uh, you know, impressive in, in that standpoint uh, for me. And so I, I think Mike Babcock would be my, my Jack Adams winner. You see what I'm doing here? I'm finishing big with the least because the next award we're going to talk about is the rookies. I'm going to go with you on Babcock. The story that he wrote in Toronto, getting the most out of this lineup that he could. This fin- they finished last in the season last year. Of course, the injection of eight rookies, many of whom contributed significantly, and we'll get into that discussion shortly, uh, really turned the franchise around. But this guy proved his medal to me. He's done it on the international stage. He's done it for years elsewhere. But I got to see it up close and personal when he worked with the likes of Nazem Kadri and, uh, and others uh, to get the most out of them and really turn around some, some veterans too that really showed what he's all about. And I think he's got to be the easy winner of this award. Let's finish it up also on another maybe leaf angle. Uh, AJ, and I'll start the discussion off with the rookie of the year situation. Austin Matthews and Patrick Laine, clearly at the head of the field. But guys, fellow Leafs like Marner and and Nylander and uh, the defenseman in uh, Philadelphia, whose name escapes me at the moment, but uh, maybe you can fill in that blank and uh, talk about the NHL rookies of the of the season that impressed you and, and the ultimate winner. Yeah, uh, Philly, I, I think you might be talking about Ivan Provorov exactly. uh, for the Flyers. Uh, and, you know, Zach, uh, Zach Wierinski is another rookie defenseman uh, for Columbus who's done really well. Uh, and let's let's not forget, his name is not going to come up. He's not going to win this trophy. But technically speaking, uh, Matt Murray is a rookie this season. Uh, he won the Stanley Cup last year, but didn't technically play enough games last season. Uh, so he is still considered a rookie, should be in the discussion for the Calder Cup. Uh, but they might as well just send it to Austin Matthews' house now. Uh, he's going to win it. Uh, unfortunately for Nylander and Marner, they are overshadowed by their teammate here. Uh, and I don't think their names are really even going to come up that much. Um, but ship it off to Toronto. Get it to Austin Matthews right now. Uh, it's his award. He he earned it. He won it. Uh, and that's uh, pretty much all there is to say on that. Yeah, he, he was trailing line in most of the season in terms of scoring exploits. And again, this is kind of like the defenseman debate that we had earlier with with uh, the situation with Carlson and Burns. All year long, Liney was leading the scoring in points per game and, and getting all the accolades there and playing first-line minutes with some real quality veterans while Matthews was playing with the rookies. That was my lament all season long. But look at the end of the season. Matthews, 40 goals, trumps 
the Swedish superstar uh, in Winnipeg, and I think he is going to be a bit of a landslide winner in this in terms of this award, unless the voting is split among the other Toronto rookies. But I don't see that happening, and uh, we're maybe looking at the next Leaf captain. In fact, in Austin Matthews, he did a lot of things right on and off the ice in a fishbowl that is Toronto, and and they did it in such a modest way too. This guy's not a big mouth, and just a very even keel player, and and a guy that I'm pinning my hopes on, and I hope he gets to watch. Uh, the play of your your uh, captain uh, up close in these playoffs too and and really realize that you keep your nose clean and and really be uh, the leader on the ice and off the ice and and really the makeup of Crosby is an excellent model for for the Matthews to follow and so uh, I guess we can wrap it up with the discussion of in that way of both of those players being really front and center uh, at the at the key position and leadership role AJ uh, we're going to close it up here. Uh, it's been a great season, and I've enjoyed really working with you from the get-go. Uh, I think we've come a long way as a tandem, and I like to think that we've offered our, our listeners quite a bit of information week in, week out. We're going to kind of spread it out over the rest of the postseason uh, and, and the off-season with some special shows like maybe a draft uh, preview or summary and or an awards show. So we invite our listeners to keep an eye out for that sort of thing. Uh, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I would just uh, let our listeners know that, uh, you know, whatever format you use uh, to, to follow, uh, to listen to the shows uh, might be a, a good opportunity to subscribe uh, just in case, uh, you know, that way you'll get uh, an easy notification uh, when we do another one of these shows. So just a, a, a quick reminder there to subscribe. And yeah, Paul, echo your sentiments. Uh, this is my first year on, on the podcast, uh, so it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been great having you kind of show me the ropes of uh, of doing these, and, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to, to much more in both the offseason and next season as well. All right, that wraps it up for this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments and questions on Twitter to follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. We ask you to look out for Podcast Hockey Pod every week so that you can get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contest. So long, everybody. 